This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the Prophet series. Today, inshallah, we have a, a, a sensitive topic. Never used to be years back, but now it is because of the societal changes. Today, we are going to talk about the Prophet Lut and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Arabic, they are also called Banu Sadum, the Sodomites, who were the people whom Prophet Lut was sent to. He was not one of them, he was not one of their people. He was the nephew of Prophet Ibrahim and he was born in uh, somewhere in Iraq, possibly a, a town called Ur, U-R. Some Albanians I think named that name today, Ur. So he was born somewhere there and migrated with Prophet Ibrahim to Palestine in Jerusalem and then Allah sent him to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a place today where the Dead Sea is. And its boundaries, its borders are Jordan and the uh, West Bank. If you know what the West Bank is, anyone? Know what the West Bank? Every Muslim should know what the West Bank is. It, naam, the West Bank in Palestine the, and uh, east of Jerusalem. There is the Dead Sea there. And inshallah, we'll talk about that today. So, leaving off, continuing from where we left off last week. Ismail السلام, died in Mecca. And there is a little bit mentioned about him in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Maryam about Ismail السلام, Ismail. And relate in the book Ismail. Innahu kana sadiq al he was always truthful to his promises. That's what Ismail is mostly known for in the Quran. Allah praises him by saying that he had, he always stuck to his promise. If he promised something, he would do it. And And he was to his Lord, honorable and Allah is pleased with him. وَكَانَ يَأْمُرُ أَهْلَهُ بِالصَّلَاةِ Another trait of Ismail which he has been honored for in the Qur'an is that he used to command his family to pray all the time. He used to be patient and one of the things that he focused on was that his family members had to do their salat. zakat, And they used to give alms, zakat, for the wealth which they accumulated. We all know what the zakat is in our Islamic religion. Yes, the third pillar of Islam, or is the fourth? Anyway, one of the five pillars of Islam, that if you have wealth, money, or so wealth that has been accumulated with you over a, a period of one year, and they are over a certain amount called nisab, threshold, and you don't need that money for anything, then, like it's not your expenses, then you have to produce 2.5% of it and give it to the poor and the needy, eight different categories of people in the Qur'an. So Ismail is used to tell his family to pray and to give zakat. And uh, 
He also was a Rasul and a Nabi. Allah says, كَانَ رَسُولًا نَبِيًّا He was not only a prophet but a messenger. So he was an elite. Well, not an elite, that's the wrong word. He was one of the more honorable of the prophets. The more special, the more important ones. Ismail alayhi salam. So we don't have much more mentioned about him except what I've already mentioned in the past lectures with Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. And he died in Mecca. So did his mother Hajar alayhi salam. And their legacy lives on with us till today. Every year. As for Ishaq alayhi salam, his brother, he died in Jerusalem. And from him came the children of Israel. Insha'Allah next week we will be talking about that line of prophets from the children of Israel. All the way up to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The scholars agree that there has never been any other prophets sent from any other people except from the children of Israel after Ibrahim alayhi salam. And Ibrahim alayhi salam was called Abu al-Anbiya, the father of the prophets. Why? I just mentioned it. From him came the progeny of all prophets. And that's a dua he made when he was building the Kaaba. He said, Ya Rabb, my Lord, make my progeny among the righteous and from them prophets and messengers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to him from Ishaq's side, prophets and messengers. And he said, and among them, there will be people who are not going to earn my paradise. There will be zalim, there will be wrongdoers. And then when he was building the Kaaba, he asked Allah about to send a messenger to the world from the progeny of Ismail alayhi salam. Because he and Ismail asked for it. And the only prophet, the only messenger coming out from Ismail alayhi salam's side was who? Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Nearly uh, 4,000 years later. My brothers and sisters in Islam. And so Ibrahim alayhi salam passed away at the age of about 180 according to some narrations. Or 170 according to the Israelite traditions. Sarah his wife died also at approximately 120 years and Ishaq lived on a little bit more and then from him came Ya'qub from Ya'qub obviously he lived to see his mother Sarah and then Yusuf that's till next time insha'Allah ta'ala just to mention very quickly Ibrahim received suhuf which means scriptures he didn't receive the Torah or the gospel or the Zams but he received Words from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that came from the heavens. And they were called suhuf, which means scrolls. The scrolls of Ibrahim alayhi salam. They are in the Quran in several passages. The most famous passage in Surah Al-A'la. Al-A'la. We recite it all the time, especially in Witr. So in the, in the end of Surah Al-A'la, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Suhufi Ibrahim wa Musa. The scrolls that were sent to Ibrahim. And the ones given to Musa, Moses. Moses received scrolls and the Torah. Two things. The Suhuf of Ibrahim alayhi salam, we don't have any of them left. However, there are narrations from the Prophet sallallahu and in early scriptures as well. And they have been merged into our Quran. In Allah's words, in different words. like Not different words, but in Allah's words on a different level. And some of the things that Ibrahim alayhi salam's scriptures had were very, were all words of wisdom. Some of the words you used to have is make for your Lord separate times in the day. A time to make tasbih. A time also to reflect, which is a sunnah that we have, a lot of Muslims have left. Reflection, to sit and just ponder upon Allah's creation and think. 
Allah does say that in the Quran, وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Allah mentions and praises certain people who say, who, he talks about them saying, and they ponder about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And they say, رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا O oh, our Lord, you have not created all of this foolishly for no reason. Subhanak, how perfect are you? How far away from imperfection are you? So this is called time to reflect and ponder. This, and this is a form of worship as well. And a time for yourself and for your family. And these were all words of wisdom from Ibrahim salam. There's several words of wisdom, but these are just some examples and they emerge into the Quran and into our Sunnah. My brothers and sisters in Islam, after that, Lut salam, was left with his people. Now when I said after that, I don't mean after the death of Ibrahim salam. I'm saying after talking the story of Ibrahim salam, because remember last week what I said, angels came to Ibrahim salam. Now let's go from there quickly, inshallah, and continue the story. So let's step now a few years back before Ibrahim salam's death. And if you recall, Allah says in the Quran that he sent two angels, no three angels, well, we don't know how many, but according to the hadith, it was three angels. And also according to the Torah, the scriptures of the, in the Bible, the Torah and the Bible, they talk about the Injil, the gospel, they talk about the angels, that there were three. So we agree on that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And also in the Quran, Allah says we sent our messengers and they were angels, but it doesn't mention their names in the Quran specifically. However, they, are, they were Jibreel alayhi salam, Mikail and Israfil. The one who was in charge of the mission was Jibreel alayhi salam. Jibreel alayhi salam. So they went to Ibrahim alayhi salam and we all know the story of the feast which he brought to them from last week. And they gave him good news of a child. And then they said to him, we are going, we have been sent to destroy the people of Lord. Ibrahim alayhi salam tried to persuade them not to go. He, he, you can understand from the context of the verses, you can understand that there's emotion here from Ibrahim alayhi salam and fear. What is it? He's telling the angels, don't go yet. Like, give it more time. Just wait a little bit. Give them time. Maybe they'll repent. Maybe they'll fix their ways. You know, this is the compassion and mercy of prophets. And you're thinking, like, what is that crime? They did many crimes. Among them is the famous sodomite crime, which is men having sex with men. And also they were highway robbers. They used to cut off streets and rob people on, in the streets. And they were also known for rape, ex extra to that. And they were obviously the biggest crime was that they disbelieved in Allah, they worshipped idols and they disbelieved in all the prophets that came to them, especially Lut So their crimes were many. But they had that specific crime, men had sex with men, and no other prophet was sent to a people like that before or after. They had never heard of this type of an act before. Nearly every people whom the prophets were sent to, we hear we know about them in the Quran, also in the Bible, and uh, in other stories of different religions, they were sent for different crimes. But the only, and they were always repeated, some of them were repeated, except for this crime was never done before, according to the Quran, and never done after, until the time of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Like even in the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this was not done sodomy. Even though that was the case, and Ibrahim alayhi wa sallam knew they had done heinous crimes in according, accordance to Allah's law, 
He's still trying to plead for them, on behalf of them, for the angels to give him time. And Allah acknowledged that about Ibrahim السلام, He said, Inna Ibrahima, Ibrahim was truly a compassionate, merciful and, and tender-hearted man, Prophet. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acknowledged that he was being tender-hearted even towards these people. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and remember what we said, Allah knows everything. We cannot question what Allah does. He decreed that these people had no more solution. Allah said there were no more solution for them. They will never be better. They'll only be corrupt and cause more corruption and harm to others. And so the angels replied to Ibrahim السلام, Ya Ibrahim, a'rid an hadha. Allah says in the Quran, Oh Ibrahim, enough. Stop with the plea for them. Your Lord's decree has come and there is no solution. So who is the one making this decision? The creator of the heavens and the earth. Not the humans, not even the prophets. This decree of destruction was not for the prophets to do. It is only for Allah. I'm saying this so that you don't understand us as Muslims. That just because Allah destroys a certain people for a crime they did, it doesn't give us the justification to go and harm these people or destroy them and so on. This is a matter only to Allah. When Allah wants to destroy people, this is His matter. And all the ulama, the scholars of the past, all the traditional scholars agree that this is the case. This is the principle. You do not mix between what Allah did to a people and how you treat them. Your treatment of them is a different story. And if you look back on my stories on the seerah of the Prophet you'll see this throughout the history and the life of the Prophet My brothers and sisters in Islam, and so Ibrahim said, okay, well, will you destroy a people and there are righteous people among them? They said, no. He said, and this is also in the Quran, قَالَ فَإِنَّ فِيهَا There is Lut over there among them. In other words, he's a righteous man. Please, save him first. And they said to him, don't worry. We will save Lut. I'll just quickly put the translation. We will save Lut and his family. Except his old woman. She will be left behind. Who was the old woman? It was his wife. How do I know who was his wife? Well, from another verse in the Quran, in Surah Al-Tahreem, Allah said, وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ ضَرَبَ اللَّهُ Not one. ضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Allah gives an example, a parable to those who disbelieve. إِمْرَأَةَ نُوح The wife of Nuh, alayhi salam, وَمْرَأَةَ Lut, And the wife of Lut, alayhi salam. كَانَتَا تَحْتَ عَبْدَيْنِ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا They were under the guardianship and loyalty and partnership and in their family they were wives of two righteous servants of ours amazing imagine being the wife of of, of a, not many i mean sisters imagine to be the wife of a prophet of allah a prophet they both betrayed their husbands 
and it did not benefit them anything Allah says فَلَمْ تُغْنِيَ عَنْهُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيْئًا وَقِيلَ دْخُلَ النَّارَ مَعَ الدَّاخِلِينَ and it was said both of you the wife of Noah and the wife of Lot enter hellfire with those who enter it I don't know if they became disbelievers or they just joined with the disbelieving people against the Prophet but Allah said they entered paradise and their story ends there we don't know anything else about the wives of these two Prophets they betrayed them by being disloyal to them, not supporting them in their message. Some uh, people try to attack these prophets by saying, Orientalists and other people's silly, silly comments. Some people, when they read the Arabic, they think that they uh, slept around. They cheated on their husbands. Astaghfirullah. Allah will never give a wife to a prophet who is a cheater, who does stuff like that. They were noble to that, they guarded themselves, but when Allah says they betrayed their prophet, their husbands, meaning they did not stick by them in their message. Rather, they betrayed them. They went with the enemy. Lut wife did that too. She stood with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah against her husband and her daughters. Lut salam. Lut, the nephew of Ibrahim He married one wife, according to my knowledge, and he had only two daughters, no sons. The two daughters are from the Israelite traditions I know, and they are also mentioned by some of our historian scholars, and they are Imam al-Tabari, for example. He mentions that he had two daughters, and I think it took them from the Israelite tradition. We don't know any more than that. And their names were... Raitha or Resta and Zagrata. Strange names, but that was in their, in their time. And these two daughters were the only two daughters for Lut and oh how much he wished that he could have sons. Why? You'll see later. Sons stood to protect and stand with him. The daughters were weak, they couldn't stand with him. So he used to say to his people, If only I could have some strong sons, men, to stand with me, or a strong family, men, that I can stand with. So that they can stand with me against you people and what you are doing. Anyway, Lut then What is the story? The two angels or the three angels were in the form of the most, one of the most handsome men you can see. Three of them. And they were extremely attractive. They left Ibrahim and headed towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Near the Dead Sea as I said. When they reached there, the two daughters of Lut were fetching water from a well. And she saw them. They, they saw them. So without anything, they ran back to their um, father, Lut, and said to him, O oh, father, bad news. There are these stranger men who have entered this land, and they are among the most handsomest we've ever seen. In other words, Dad, you know what, what we mean. Not good news. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this uh, particular incident in the Quran. And he says, Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so these visitors came into the land of Lut, and Lut looked at that as bad news. 
and he knew, he said, هذا يوم عصيب. This is a terrible day. Why is he saying this is a terrible day? Number one, a prophet has to honor his guests. They're his guests now. He has to look after them. No one else is. Number two, he has to go and grab them before harm comes to them. And when he saw them handsome men, strangers, he thought, the people are going to know about them, the men of, my, of, of, this, of this land, and they're going to, they're going to either rape them or commit sexual adultery with them, sexual fornication. So he said, this is a terrible day. So he approached them and he tried, he didn't know they were angels, he tried to convince them to leave. So he started saying things like, you know, you're stranger people, uh, can, we haven't had the acquaintance, I'm Lord, I came here, migrated here a while ago, expecting them to tell them who, he, who they are, but they didn't say anything. So he thought, let me try and do something else. He said, you know, this land that you've come in, you are very welcome, you are my guests, but it is one of the worst lands and people that I've ever met. He's trying to tell them, get out of here. But still they didn't listen. And so Lord ran out of options. All he could do was welcome them and be, be, their host, um, be their host in his house. So he put them in the house and he was scared. He told his daughters, look outside. Unfortunately, his wife went and told the news to the people about these handsome men in his house. Allah says this particular incident in the Quran. Allah says, وَجَاءَ قَوْمُهُ يُهْرَعُونَ وَجَاءَهُ قَوْمُهُ يُهْرَعُونَ Allah says, and his people came to him rushing. They came running. Like a celebration. Like a concert. <laughs> and Allah says, and while they were already doing their evil act before, we know in other words, why they were coming. Lut said, so they came to him to the door and they started knocking and they, they said to him, they started shaking the door and saying, open up ya Lut, we know that you have them in there. Lut Allah says, Lut said, my people, قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ Listen very carefully. Here are my daughters. They are purer for you. Have fear of Allah and do not disgrace me concerning my guests. Is there not even one right-minded person in your midst? They said, Surely you already know that we have nothing to do with your daughters. We don't desire your daughters. We don't see a right to go to your daughters and have them as sexual mates. Because that's not what we want. It's not what we do. So, in our perception... We have no right to your daughters. We don't want them. You also know well what we want. This is in Surah Hud, Ayah 77. Brothers and sisters, I have a few points about this verse now. Please listen carefully. When Nuhut said, he said, Oh my people, these are my daughters, they are purer for you. He did not mean his own two daughters. You will find some strange narrations by some Islamic scholars of the past saying that he offered his own daughters. 
But subhanAllah, the rest of the scholars disagree and it makes absolutely no sense to offer his own daughters. Why? Number one, we know that he had two daughters. And in Arabic he says, Ha'ula'i. Ha'ula'i is, a, is, is, a, um, Ha'ula'i is a, a word referring to plurality. These, a lot. And in Arabic we say, Ha'ula'i, it's more than two. So he only had two daughters, he could have to refer to them in the plural sense. They were only dual. He would have said, Ha'tani. These two are my daughters. But rather he said, Ha'ula'i. That's number one. Number two. They wanted to commit haram, illegal sexual intercourse. And from what he saw, they were about to rape them. How could a prophet offer his daughters to be zina material, material of fornication or material of rape? It absolutely makes no sense to the mind of anybody. And it's actually an abominous, abominable, abominable accusation on the prophet of Allah. How could a prophet offer his daughters in such a way? And lastly, but very importantly, it was not his daughters he was referring to. He was referring to the women of the land, the rest of the women. Because it wasn't only men that lived there, there were women as well. So there were men who slept with men and men who slept with women as well. So they also reproduced. They did all that stuff, everything. It was a colorful salad <laughs> of things. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, Ibrahim would not offer his own daughters, nor even the daughters of the people. But why did he say my daughters? Well, it's very clear, very simple. All the prophets used to refer to the, their people, the men and the women, as their sons and daughters, their children. This was throughout history, prophets always used to do that. And it's in also in a Sahih Hadith in Abu Dawood, the Prophet said, Ana bi walidi. Prophet Muhammad used to say, I am to you like your father, I teach you. And so it was very normal for prophets to say, my daughters, my sons. So what he meant was, my daughters. And what he was offering them was, not rape or sexual uh, uh, zina, you know, a fornication. He was offering them, he said, they are pure for you. And, and purity can only mean marriage. Because Allah says, Allah only loves for you tayyib, only purity. And one of the purities which he named is marriage, zawaj, nikah, marriage. That's the pure form. And we will come back to that inshaAllah ta'ala. Definitely fornication and adultery is not pure. It causes diseases. It causes harm. People get abortions as a result of zina. We know about this in today's world. We'll come back to that inshaAllah. Brothers and sisters in Islam, therefore, that was the explanation of that. What was their reply? In another verse, they said, Look at this guy, Lot and his family. They, we should kick them out of this land. He used to call them and say, stop this act. And he used to say, kick them out of this land. They are people who think that they are so pure. You know, they think that they are so pure. Allah said in Surah An-Naman, expel Lot's family as well as himself from your land. That's what they used to say about him. They are a people who make themselves out like they're pure. And these words are very similar to today's words that we hear. I.e., they said, they think they're natural and we're not natural. 
that what we are doing is not a natural act and that they are a natural act. You know? We're the same. We're both natural. Just that we're different. We like something he doesn't like. So why does he think that he's pure and we're not? They are, they are clean, they think, and we are not. They think they're natural and we're not. So we have similar expressions today. Straight. They call heterosexuals straight. It's still till today. Straight. And they used to use the word يتطهرون. They want to stay pure. Subhanallah. And they say our needs are perfectly natural like the rest of you. So this is what they were, their language used to be with Lord and his people. Allah says in the Quran, And Lord, when we sent him to his people, he said to them, What? Is it true you approach men instead of your women to satisfy your lust? You are indeed an ignorant people with no sense of decency and no sense of right and wrong. He did not say that they are psychologically sick. He did not call it a disorder. He did not call any of that stuff. All he said to them was, you are a people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they were a people who did not use their senses and obey their senses of right and wrong. So it was a deliberate act which they knew was not right, but they did not care anymore. And uh, Rasul Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa talks about shame. And he says, every prophet came and taught his people modesty and shame. Shame in a good way, meaning to have modesty and to stay away from immoral acts. And he said, if you have no shame, then go ahead and do anything you want. If shame is lost from a person, then there is nothing that can make you follow morality. You, are, you become immoral if there's no shame. Everything's allowed. If there's no shame, you do anything. Anything. Serial killer, no shame. Even they glorify themselves. Pedophilia. Rape. Murder. Theft. Everything. No shame. People do anything. Brothels. Prostitution. Child prostitution. Everything. Pornography, whatever. No shame? Do whatever you please. In other words, there's nothing, even the Prophet, if he was here, if you have no shame, he cannot lead you, he cannot lead you on the right path. Not even the Prophets can lead you on the right path. So shame, my dear brothers and sisters, is Iman. Rasul said that al-haya'u Shame and modesty is part of Iman, it's part of faith. It's part of what makes you human. And differentiates us from other creatures. My brothers and sisters in Islam, they, there are people who say that, no, no, the, the meaning of do you approach men instead of women, they say it means rape. No, it cannot mean rape. Because Lord is to say to them, what do you go to men to satisfy your lust, engage in highway robbery and commit evil deeds in your gatherings? Then they had no answer to offer other than to say, bring Allah's chastisement upon us if you are truthful. In another verse he says, and you are doing that fahisha, an act which no other people have ever done before you among all the worlds. People had raped before Lut So this was not a new act if it was rape. Secondly, Lut is saying to them, instead of men, take the women. 
But if he is saying that you rape men, and then he says, no, why don't you go and rape the women? That doesn't make sense either. So obviously, it's not rape. And ta'tuna, in Arabic, to approach, translated in English, in Arabic, the word yahti, when it, talk about, when it talks about relationships, it means sexual act. And there is a hadith from Prophet ﷺ, which is in Bukhari, that he said about uh, married people that, I know there's children here, he says, Man ata imra'atahu fi duburiha, then he is cursed. Whoever has sexual intercourse from the, uh, what are we going to say? What's, what's a polite word to say? Uh, from the Ria. That doesn't, do you know what Ria means? For the older people? Okay. Then, this is, in, in one hadith, it's, it's even, it says that, that you have disbelieved in Allah and His Messenger. In another one, it says that it is, it's a major sin, which is cursed. La'na. No mercy from Allah for people who do that. And obviously, brothers and sisters, anything that is haram, anything that is haram, is harmful. Haram, take away the A, ha. What does it become? Haram. Always remember that. Haram means harm. Allah says something is forbidden only because it's harmful. He wants to protect you. So the reason I said that hadith is because the word yati, approach, is the same word used here, men approaching men. So Allah, when He speaks in the Quran, He speaks with, with, uh, with manners and etiquette and eloquence. He doesn't sit there talking like you're reading Astaghfirullahaladzim, a dirty book. So that's why al-rijal, you approach men, we know what it means. Therefore, it means none other than sexual intercourse. Sexual intercourse. Literally, sexual intercourse. Men and men. And you know what that means. There's only one way a man can have sexual intercourse with another man. That's the act that the people of Lord were doing knowingly and deliberately. So Lut tried to convince them to stay away from that and go the natural way, but they did not listen. So then he comes to the angels. He didn't know they were angels. He said, look, I apologize. You know, he tried to talk to them. He tried, and then that's when Jibreel revealed himself. And he said to him, he didn't reveal himself physically, he revealed his identity. And he said to him, Inna Rasulullah, we are messengers from you. Don't worry, we are going to save you and your family. Tomorrow in the morning, we will destroy them. And he said, in the night, you and your family go and run away. Not one of you even look back. Don't even turn your head. Just run and keep going. We are going to destroy the people of this land. Complete and utter destruction. Now this, this story that I'm telling you is not just in the Qur'an. It's also in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The New Testament is what Christians call the Bible, but we said Bible means holy book. So it's in the New Testament that Christians call the Bible now. And the Torah, the Old Testament sent upon Moses. Nothing new. And so, Lut alayhi salam he said, what am I going to do about these people? Jibreel said, move, I will take care of them. He opened the door. They saw Jibreel, very handsome. And there's a couple of narrations. One says that he poked them. He, he turned one of his wings or a feather towards their eyes. 
and it poked their eyes until they became temporarily blinded. They couldn't see. In another narration, it says that he held some dust and he blew it. And he said, May the faces be blinded. Whatever narration is correct, what is true is what the Quran says, and that is, they became blinded. They became blinded. They couldn't see. And they screamed, Saharana Lut. Lut has done magic on us. He's done sorcery upon us. Look, he doesn't, he, we can't see anymore. And in the Quran it says, they moved then, they moved away, and they went back to their homes while they were touching the walls. This is another evidence in the Quran that they could not see. Because they were holding the walls and they were said, you, get, you did sorcery upon us, Ya Lut. Tomorrow in the morning you will see. Tomorrow in the morning you will see our wrath. That's what they said. Lut carried his family, packed their bags, and Allah says in the Quran, وَنَجَّيْنَاهُمْ Allah saved Lut and his daughters and some of the people that believed in him. Bisahar. Sahar is the means in the darkness of the night. Sahar means a night that has no moon. Extremely dark. In the depth of the night, everybody's asleep and there's nothing else. Allah says we saved him. He ran away in the depth of the night. Now remember when they said, you shall see our wrath in the morning? Allah says in the Quran that he replied. He says, فَصَبَّحَهُمْ بُكْرَةً عَذَابٌ مُسْتَقِرٌ In Surah Al-Qamar. But instead of them showing him a wrathful morning, Allah surprised them with a wrathful morning from him. As soon as the sun rose, it was at sunrise, they had just woken up, some of them, and Allah describes the graphic torment as he took the entire cities, obliterated them completely off the face of the earth into non-existence. Allah describes this in several passages in the Quran. I'll just refer to one. Allah says, And when our command came to pass, We turned the town upside down. What was on the top became at the bottom. وَأَمْطَرْنَا عَلَيْهَا حِجَارَةً مِّنْ سِجِّيلٍ مَنْضُودٍ and we rained on it, on all of its towns, stones of baked clay. Stones of baked clay. One after another. Like rain. In another verse, Allah says, We rained upon them. You know how rain comes down? Exactly like that. But instead of water, they were what looked like ashes of stone that were mixed with baked clay clay from earth but baked meaning it was soldiering hot and the stones were said to be most likely slate so there were layers of stone that were mixed min sijil meaning it was covered it was mixed with baked clay and geologists today tell us there is only one place where such type of rocks 
scourging with fire like that, baked and stoned with clay, that can come out of. Only from volcanoes. Volcanic eruptions, this is what comes out of them. Today they call it, the chemical name for it is, sulfur. Have you heard of sulfur? That's what it is. And in ancient terms, in the Bible, it's also called brimstone. In common terms, it's called brimstone. In chemical terms, scientific terms, it's called sulfur. And sulfur are part of the material of the ashes of volcanic eruptions. There, that's known. So, if a volcano erupts, and these ashes are flying, these rocks and baked clay, how would they come down? Have you ever seen a volcano erupt? It showers like rain. And Allah describes it in several passages giving different descriptions and graphics. He says, وَأَمْطَرْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ We rained upon them, hijaratan, many stones, min sijil, mixed with baked clay. Geologists say that when these ashes come out, they are more than 180 degrees Celsius. They come right through you. doesn't matter how. They're just small rocks. They'll, they'll penetrate right through a person and rip them to pieces. Because it's rain coming down upon you like that. It's just cutting and ripping your body apart. Little tiny fragments. Body parts. That's how they fell upon the people of Lut. Sodom and Gomorrah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us that it sunk. It went under the earth. Now there are two stories about this. The first story, which is more common, is that Jibreel alayhi salam, Jibreel, the angel Jibreel, took his actual form and he took one feather from the tip of his wing and he immersed it under the cities. He lifted it up so high into the heavens. The narration says that the angels could hear the crowing of their roosters and they, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, could hear the tasbih, subhanAllah, of the angels in the heavens. And then he twisted the earth upside down and slammed it into the earth. Uh, Imam uh, uh, Ibn Hajar, one of the traditional scholars, for those of you who know who, who I'm talking about, he says that the Dead Sea came about because of that. However, brothers and sisters, I, in a prophet series I gave about seven years ago, I mentioned this as if it was a fact. But subhanAllah, people make mistakes, and as you research more and learn more, I now have changed that position and found through more research that this actually cannot be relied on. It's not even a hadith that is authentic from the Prophet ﷺ and most likely even Ibn Kathir, the one who wrote the book of the Prophet stories and tafsir, the famous tafsir Ibn Kathir, he mentions this as well, but he does not refer to it as an authentic hadith. So it's most likely from the Israelite traditions Allahu alam. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. But it doesn't really, we can't rely on that, neither from text or even from common sense. Uh, research today and scientific discoveries show us that most likely, and this research has been done, you can read about it from scientists, that there was land there, there were a people there, this has been established, there are signs of people's people being there, and there are also signs of earthquakes that have happened in that region many many times and most likely it was an earthquake that the and most likely their land wasn't on the Dead Sea the Dead Sea has been there for hundreds of thousands of years actually but their land their, their homes were around in the mountainous volcanic regions 
they are all volcanic regions around the Dead Sea. And they were all around there. And what happened? An earthquake happened and their land was sunk underneath. And now you look at the whole plain. It's barren. There's nothing. There's nothing. Allah obliterated them. And they can still today, alhamdulillah, you can see uh, Bhutan. You know what Bhutan is? Bhutan rocks. It's what they make asphalt out of. They melt it and they put the rocks together in asphalt. They, they, they find it sometimes floating on top of the Dead Sea. And it's a result of volcanoes, right? And there's brimstone there. There's lots of sulfur, which explains why the Dead Sea is extremely salty. One of the most saltiest, and it's not really an ocean, it's a lake. A big lake. One of the saltiest lakes on earth. There are saltier lakes, but this is one of the most saltier. It's three times more saltier than the normal ocean, than the Pacific Ocean, Indian Ocean, Atlantic Ocean. It's so salty that the Dead Sea, it's very difficult to sink in it. You go in there and just float, naturally. And the Dead Sea, there is nothing. There's no big organisms living in there, no, no big creatures living in there, no fish, nothing. No big creatures. There are maybe tiny, really tiny microscopic organisms, yes. But there are no living big creatures in the sea. And that's why it's called the Dead Sea, Al-Bahar Al-Mayyid. Rasulullah talked about the Dead Sea. There are hadiths about it. And he says that it is, there is, it is so impure, nothing lives in it. Nothing, meaning nothing you can see with the eye. Creatures, that large, large organisms. So there is no good in the water. Some say today that they use it for some skin healing. Maybe. But here's the thing that we say. Just because something has no benefit, we don't mean that it has entirely no benefit. It just means overall it has no benefit. Just like alcohol in the Quran, Allah says that alcohol and gambling is forbidden. They have some benefit, but their harm outweighs its benefit. So is there benefit in alcohol and gambling? Yes, there is. But its harm outweighs its benefit, therefore, we rule it as impure. The Dead Sea has some benefit, but majority of it is not benefit, beneficial. My brothers and sisters, they, they say that there used to be land, there used to be greenery and trees and things like that, and now it's all gone from there. After the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, my brothers and sisters, the people of Lut were destroyed. Not just destroyed, obliterated. Like, I mean... The people of Salih and Hud, remember we, read, we spoke about them? At least we still have their buildings left. The pharaohs, we have the Egyptian, you know, the, 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 the pyramids and the Sphinx and all that left. We have from all sorts of people, their remnants, artifacts, archaeological findings. SubhanAllah, except for the people of Lut. Now some discoveries say that they found remnants, some little utensils and stuff from people who lived there. They say there were people who are living here. If you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, have heard of them? Okay, some scrolls which they found there. Yeah, truly, they date back a really long time ago. And they say it's from the Bible. But subhanAllah, you know what's strange about it is they're called manuscripts. The things that are in the Dead Sea Scrolls, when you read them, they actually support the Quranic, the Quranic message. And subhanAllah, they are less supportive of the current Bible they have today. It doesn't talk about the Trinity, for example, at all. There's nothing about the Trinity or Jesus being God's Son, begotten Son, begotten Son. There's none of that. So it's more supportive of the Qur'an than it is of the current Bible. It's just a few fragments they found, subhanAllah. 
Anyway, brothers and sisters in Islam, so that is the place of the people of Lut. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in many different passages, The people of Lut said that all the messengers were liars. When their brethren, Allah called Lut, I said their brethren, meaning the one who was sent to them and lived among them, do you not fear Allah? I am a, a trustworthy messenger to you. Please believe me. So fear Allah, meaning respect Allah's decisions and His commands and obey, obey what I'm telling you. I don't ask you for any money. I don't want anything for it. Look, I'm just sincerely, genuinely, really want the best for you. In My reward is from Allah, the Lord of all mankind. I don't want anything from you, you know. And this is a sign of someone who's genuine, really wants good for the people. You have sexual intercourse with males among all people of the world. You do this. No one else does this. And you abandon what Allah created for you naturally for you to enjoy. Women. Can't you see that? And he's saying, Allah originated them for you. You can see you have different sexual organs. These sexual organs, they work together fine. You reproduce from them. They are perfectly put in place. And anyone with a common mind can understand this is how it's meant to be. Don't do what you are doing. Even if you're doing it, don't do it. It's not the right act. He created for you the correct mates. They were meant to be your mates. Oh no, you are people who are transgressing. You are doing things outside of the boundaries. You're not meant to go that, that far. You're not meant to be doing this stuff. And many, many other verses also in Surah Al-Ankabut. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it. Many other verses, my brothers and sisters. It actually appears in uh, what? I think... Several verses in the Quran, many chapters. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeats their story over and over again. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Lut alayhi salam, there's nothing more mentioned about him in the Quran after that incident. And unfortunately, this is what happened to them. The Prophet said, I just want to point out now some lessons to learn from this, especially in our current time. Muhammad said, and this hadith is in Ibn Majah, and it has been authenticated by the Muhaddith al-Albani, he said, لم تظهر الفاحشة في قوم قط حتى يعلنوا بها There has never been a time Muhammad said, There has never been a time among any people that ever existed from now to the end of time where indecent sexual acts, wrong sexual acts, they're called fahisha, outrageous acts, became manifest among the people and they started to parade about it, meaning it became normal. Except that terminal illnesses and diseases which they have never seen before would spread among them as a result of them transgressing the boundaries, them doing these illegal sexual activities. 
This illegal sexual activities is not only men having intercourse, sexual intercourse with men, but also other sexual activities among heterosexuals that are not right. Why? Prophet peace be upon him said, it's because they produce harm and diseases upon you and they spread like an epidemic that had never been before. Obviously there is a cure for it. Prophet said there isn't a disease that appears except there is a cure for it. Except for two things they have no cure. He said old age has no cure. And death, death has no cure. But he said, Every disease has a cure. But the problem is that why create new diseases for ourselves and then try to find their cure before millions of people die from them? The diseases that we know about today that are a result of indecent sexual immodest acts are AIDS. You all know about AIDS? Autoimmune disease? There is no cure to it till today. Millions of people have died from AIDS irreversibly. HIV, human immuno, human, um, human immuno, what? Virus. What is it? What is it called, yeah, pharmacist? Huh? Immuno deficiency virus, no D. I forgot about that. Okay. So human immunodeficiency virus. It's a virus that attacks your immune system and then turns your immune system against you. So your own body thinks that you have been invaded, but it's actually your body invading your own body. It turns into AIDS. STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. STIs, sexually transmitted infections. And this one hurts me a lot, subhanAllah, when I hear about it. Abortions. Abortions are happening as a result of these types of illegal sexual acts. Of course, they do happen among married couples, but they also happen a lot among unmarried couples, probably even more according to studies. And subhanAllah, I looked up this, it says from the global situation and trends uh, uh, from the, sorry, the um, World Health Organization. They talk about global situation and trends. They said, since the beginning of the epidemic, HIV, more than 70 million people have been infected with the HIV virus and about 35 million people have died of HIV. Globally, 36.9 million people were living with HIV at the end of the year 2017. 36, nearly 40, nearly 40 million people are living with it. The African region remains most severely affected with nearly one in every 25 adults. It's not to have a go at any Africans. But just that's what it shows there. Allahu alam how it went there. Maybe along the history of Allahu alam in the time of slavery. So the black people, they did really cop it a lot in history. We all know about their plight. They are our brothers in Islam. Islam came and actually liberated them. However, we all know about what had happened to them with the white man and, and enslaving the black man, especially in Africa. Allahu alam is only my theory. Allahu alam from studies. I think that HIV and AIDS um, spread in Africa as a result of a lot of colonization and rape and so on and so forth. Slavery and, and, and all that stuff. So they are living with HIV and accounting for nearly two-thirds of the people living in HIV worldwide. Uh, more studies have told us that babies in Africa are the most affected by AIDS. Babies. Millions of babies per year. Why? Because it's an infectious disease. And if a mother is pregnant with AIDS, 
the child automatically has AIDS. What is their crime? And here is the killer. Most, most of those living with HIV, 76%, were male. And 69% of males were gay. So 69% of the people infected with HIV were males who were gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. MSM, they made all these names. In 2010, the most recent year for which new HIV infection data are available, men accounted for 80% of the estimated new HIV infections. This data is from Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It's not from Muslims, it's from non-Muslim scientists who are telling us the truth. That the ones who are most prone to HIV and AIDS are gay men. More than women, even. STDs and STIs, more common in gay men. Again, this is a fact. And heterosexuals who have multiple partners. So HIV is less apparent in heterosexual men, men who just sleep with women, but are more in men who have multiple sex partners. Zina, adultery and fornication. And less in women for some reason. The Quran in Surah Al-Isra said, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا Do not even come close to adultery or fornication. Adultery is when you're married and you sleep with someone else that is not your wife or husband. Fornication is when you're not married and you sleep around. Men or women. It's called zina in Arabic. Zina. And zina literally means sexual intercourse with someone you are not allowed to have sexual intercourse. They're forbidden to have it with. So, the act of a man having intercourse with another man is called zina. But there's another word called liwat. I don't like calling it liwat because Prophet Lut, that's his name. He was a, a prophet of Allah. I don't like to attach that with this act. A man sleeping with a woman that is not lawful for him or her is called zina. But there is of a lesser extent, in Arabic, we also call stuff that leads to zina, you know, kiss, hugging, doing all that stuff, looking. That's called, also called zina, but it's not the zina of intercourse, not the major zina, it's minor. It's the stuff that leads to zina. But it's all called zina because stuff that leads to zina, right? They're minor sins, they go away with repentance and prayers and so on and so forth, but if you keep repeating them over and over again, they turn into major sins. So these minor stuff become major after repeating constantly and they can become addictive so no one can say you know i didn't commit sexual intercourse but i did everything else that's also a form of zina but not the actual zina that is the major sin but it accumulates as i said allah says do not come close to it it is an outrageous act and a pathway with an evil end and then allah says just before and do not kill your children and that is a result of abortion. Don't abort your children. And do not kill them literally. Just because you fear that you'll not be able to raise them and provide for them. Remember, it is us who is providing your children. And we are the ones who are providing you. So why are you killing them? Risk is not on you. Provision is not from you. You could die tomorrow. Who provides them? Allah provides them. Don't kill. Don't murder. My brothers and sisters, abortion, the aban abandonment of children, 
divorces, suicides, STDs, HIV and AIDS, abuse of women, increase of violence towards women, objectifying women, and now even objectifying men. The world has changed, subhanAllah. Even men have become a sexual object. Subhanallah, all of these things have occurred now in the last, in the 21st century and in the 20th century, when people started to exceed the boundaries of what was sexually allowed. Now you might be thinking, well, disbelievers used to do zina. No, actually. Zina and, and the sexual intercourse, adultery and fornication was not even practiced by non-Muslims for a very long time. Yes, they were hidden and practiced here and there, but not for a very long time it wasn't. I've got, I heard a very old recording in the 1950s of a 16-year-old girl having an interview, broadcasted interview, and she doesn't have a boyfriend, and she's talking about, oh, no, no, I'm still a virgin, I don't have boyfriends until I'm actually married. And this was the norm. It's not just her, it was a norm among teenagers in that time. Right? So they didn't used to commit this zina, only now. You know, people don't want to get married even. We can understand why in the West, there are lots of reasons, you know. They say that the laws then, you know, you're stuck and then she takes away all this money and all of that stuff and you don't get to see your children. But other than that, people don't want to commit anymore. They'd rather have partners, girlfriends, boyfriends. Why? Because there's no commitment. Or there's less commitment. You know? There's no difference between a boy and a girl sleeping together like a married couple, but they're not allowed to get married. That's, that's absurd. I mean, I don't know how that makes sense. A 15-year-old and a 16-year-old can be together and do everything a married couple does. They can even have children. She can even get pregnant, have a child, be a mother. But they're not allowed to be legally married. Now, this is the laws of, of the land that we live in, and we have to abide by the laws. We don't have to agree with them, but we do have to abide by the laws. In Australia, uh, gay marriages are also now, are now legal. Again, we as Muslims, we don't have to agree with it. But we don't, you know, we don't, we don't, we have to abide by the laws. We don't have to do it ourselves, but we can't go out causing havoc, destruction, causing, uh, you know, injustice and so on. Which brings me to something. How do we treat gay people? How do we treat LGBT people? These new names that we heard of. Well, in the history of Islam, Arabs never knew homosexuals. We don't, we don't, it's actually not in our history. We don't know. We don't know anything about homosexuality. It's not in our history books. Well, you might think the people of Lord were homosexuals. Well, in today's terms, maybe, but it wasn't really like that. The people of Lord, all we know about is that the, the crime they did was the act of sexual intercourse between man and man. Because Lord says, Inni I am innocent of your action. So it wasn't actually the feeling which they had that they were destroyed for. Or the thoughts they had that they were destroyed for, even though they were sinful. But it was the fact that they practiced the act over and over and over again, number one. Number two, it became their norm. Number three, they were sent messengers and they didn't stop. Number four, there was nothing wrong with them. They were able to have women and they didn't do it. And so, and another, another reason, they were doing highway robbery. They were kuffar, they were disbelievers, they rejected the message. So Allah subhanahu wa destroyed them. But today's age, we don't know what this is. All we know is that that act is forbidden in Islam. But, how do we treat gay people? Gay people is a person who has emotional, psychological and physical sexual attraction to another man. And also a woman, they call it 
these other names. So we've got children here, I don't like to, to talk about these things. We are in the masjid as well. And uh, alhamdulillah, we, we prefer not to say these things. However, how do we deal with these people? As Muslims, we're not allowed to harm them. We're not allowed to abuse them. They are still humans. A gay person, Muslim, can still be a Muslim. So long as he or she does not believe or try to say that it is halal to change the verses of the Qur'an. They have to admit that it is haram. They do to themselves, we don't want to know it. And maybe it did happen in the times of the other prophets that came later. Maybe it did happen at the time of Muhammad but it was very discreet, it was very private. If it did happen, nobody knew about it and no one asked about it. But the Prophet didn't go out of his way saying, find them. Didn't ask, just left it. Okay. However, we do have something close to that. We have what we call in Arabic, and I'll finish it with this, khuntha, muhannaf. In Arabic, in English, you would find, if you looked it up in a dictionary, it means effeminate. Effeminate, which means a man who has characteristics of a woman. Physical, emotional, uh, in action, their skin, their, their, the way they, they talk, their voice, tone, all of that stuff. We see that there are some men who have a lot of feminine features. And they existed at the time of Muhammad وسلم, the Prophet And there was, uh, some of them were servants and slaves, others were free men. And one of them was uh, a slave of Ummu Salama, the Prophet's wife. Uh, slavery in that time was still alright, but there were conditions of how to treat him, how to treat him well in Islam and respect them and, and, and give them their rights. So he, this particular effeminate Muhannaf that was the servant of Ummu Salama, that the hadith is sahih, it's in Bukhari. This, he was allowed, or she, I don't, I don't know, but we'll just say he, because in Arabic, he can apply also to feminine things, right? Like the wall, we can call it he, right? And that's why Allah is not a male or female, but we still say he, it's just a language. So he was allowed to be with, alone with females and with males, with men and women. He was allowed to mix with the men and mix with the women, freely. But one day, this, uh, I th to, the best term today we use is intersex, an intersex person. He came to, he, Prophet ﷺ overheard him say to another man, you know, when you enter that land of, uh, the land of uh, some land, and you're going to see the daughter of so-and-so, I can tell you if you're interested in her, She's got seven rolls on her back and four rolls on her stomach. That's what he said. Like he's trying to say she's, she's overweight or whatever. Which is not a nice thing to say at all. However, this is what he said. When the Prophet ﷺ overheard this effeminate man talking like that, he became, he was not happy with what he said. And then he said, you are no longer allowed to mix with the women alone. You're not allowed to see them. You're not allowed to be in private with them. You're not allowed to see them without hijab. Because you have betrayed the trust. So long as he was effeminate and the way he is, an intersex person, Prophet didn't, you know, he wasn't bothered with him. He didn't fear that he's going to harm the women or astaghfirullah, rape women or uh, abuse women or... Uh, which is not to say that heterosexual men are, are going to do that with men. No, no. But he allowed him freely to be with women. Right? But once he started to abuse their rights by 
telling other men about their features, their private features, he forbid them. Why? He forbid him because he was causing harm to the women. This is abuse. Now, do we know his sexual interest? Now, this comes to a very delicate point. The ulama, the scholars, all the madhahib, they talk about this. They say, a muhannath is a man or a person who on the outside has got features that you can't tell whether he is a man or a woman. That's without looking any deeper, without looking at his private parts, looking on the outside. You can see that from the clothing, from the way they wear, their skin, their eyes, maybe their chest, all that stuff, it looks like a woman. It's got woman features, very clear. They talk like a woman, they walk like a woman, they're not sure if it's a man or a woman. So today they are called intersex people. And it's considered uh, offensive to say, what's the other word, hermaphrodite. So that's an offensive word today, you've got to say intersex people. And usually what happens with these guys is, they've got both, they have uh, both organs. Sometimes they have the male organ and the female organ. Sometimes they don't have any organs at all, subhanAllah. And sometimes they have uh, features on the outside of women. So they're all sorts. But they're born with a deformity. They're not like pure, just physically male or physically female altogether. And usually they show at puberty. So Islam talks about these people. And it gives them their rights. Prophet ﷺ allowed them to roam freely. They weren't a harm to anybody, men or women. But when they transgressed, when they started doing that stuff, he said, okay, you're not allowed to do that. Now these ones, they didn't really, didn't have sexual desires towards women or towards men. However, the scholars did talk about it. They said, these types of people, if surgery is allowed, they are allowed to change themselves to whatever gender they want according to which one they are closest to, which one they have more features of. Some ulama said if they have a womb, they can get pregnant, then they can do surgery to become a complete woman and they're treated like a woman. If they have more masculine features, then they can do a surgery to change completely to a male and they're treated like a man and they can marry a woman, be like a normal man. Or some scholars said they can choose which gender they want to be because we don't know their psychology and their emotion on the inside. Whichever one they feel closer to, they can be that. And then we treat them as that. But so long as they're the way they are, they have both features, we treat them neither male or female, and they're allowed to roam. Because it is, but that's only if we can see that they don't have desires. So if they are never known to have desires for man or woman, they're allowed to be with both of them. But if they are known to have these desires, but they are acting in a certain way, then we forbid them. Now, there are men who are effeminate, but all their physical features are men. Completely men. They are also called Muhannath. But Muhannath, not physically, we say they are deliberately acting like that. You're not allowed to do that. You're a male, you're capable of doing all this stuff, you have those emotions, and now you're acting like you're that because you think you are not a male. Well, in Islam, this is not acceptable. And our Prophet ﷺ, in fact, in the Qur'an, Allah says, if you are a male or female, neither the male nor the females, it goes on by talking about males and females, says, men should not wish to be women and women should not wish to be men. And when you believe in God, in Allah, it becomes easier for you because you are now respecting Allah's decision in the way that He made you. And that's why even like changing your facial features, other than talking about that stuff, 
Changing your facial features is haram. To, for example, tattooing is haram. Why? Because you are permanently changing your skin color. Pigmentation is haram. Right? Changing your nose when there is no problem in you. If there is a problem, a deformity, then yes, you are allowed. Let's say you had an accident or there's a deformity. Whatever reason it may be, some women as a result of childbirth, body changes, and it becomes different to what it was, and they can do surgery to fix it, then that's okay, plastic surgery. But other than that, it's haram. You're meant to respect the way God made you and feel proud of the way you are. And this is really good for your mental state. Islam helps in that. So Allah says, men and women, be the way you are. Because that's the way I made you and that's the way things can go. Don't each one of you. Now, you might ask, well, some men are born with a little bit more hormones like women. And some women are born with a bit more testosterone, like some more estrogen in men and a little bit more testosterone in women than normal. That's fine. That's okay. Whoever said that's not wrong, you know? Some men, women, we find that they don't act like the typical feminine girl. And sometimes we see boys or men not act like the typical man. Sometimes they're just like that. And our scholars have already talked about that. They say there are some who are naturally effeminate. Some men have always been like that. They just can't help themselves. They don't think about it, but they just act a little bit more feminine, the typical feminine according to what we know in society. We still treat them as men, and we acknowledge the, the way they are. We accept them the way they are. Rasulullah also said, do not abuse these people. He said, any Muslim who calls another Muslim man muhannath, effeminate, has earned the curse of Allah. And any person who calls another a, 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 a hermaphrodite, an intersex, even if he is, to call him that name, it is cursed, he is cursed as well. You're not allowed to call people that name. Even if you're joking, you shouldn't. Alright? We shouldn't really talk. If you're joking, you, sh you don't earn the curse, but it's still forbidden. Yet. So don't call each other even that name. It's abusive. So that you can see a strong respect in our society. Now, uh, I know, subhanAllah, a couple of men who are married, they've got children, they're religious, mashallah, they pray to do everything. But subhanAllah, wallahi, I challenge any of you that if you were to meet him just by himself, you will think he is gay, but he's not. Everything about him, his skin, the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he moves, even his voice, everything is like an effeminate man. But that's how he is naturally. Wallahi, he's actually a really good man. I respect him, he loves his deen, he's very knowledgeable, he's married, he's respected, he's loyal to his wife, loyal to his children. Amazing men. SubhanAllah. And some women are like that. It doesn't mean that they are something abnormal. And it doesn't mean you are gay, it doesn't really mean that. Society and the environment may make you think like that. Maybe the way you were raised. But anyway, that's a separate lecture I can talk about one day, inshaAllah. So my brothers and sisters, just because somebody has a bit more hormones here or a bit more hormones there, doesn't mean that you are now something else, that you are not. But we accept you the way you are. Good? Alhamdulillah. So my brothers and sisters, oh, by the way, I have gay neighbors. I gave them Mahmoul on Eid. And they said, thank you. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide them, you know, to Islam or whatever. Yeah. What we are against is the act. What they do privately in their homes is their business. And we need to uh, abide by the law of the land. Remember Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he told us, whoever sees something wrong, an evil or an injustice, change it physically. But if you can't change it physically, then with your mouth speak. But if you can't even speak, then at least in your heart, Rasul said, you are not asked to do more than that. Adaful iman means 
You are not asked to do more than that. Khalas. If you in your heart you disagree with it, you know that it's not right, then that's enough. You don't have to do more than that. Don't go out of your way. In this country, this is what applies. Physically and verbally, khalas, leave it. You can teach your children, you can teach your community in the masjid we can teach. You know, there are laws at Hamdra that, that say that you know you can discriminate. For example, you have a sheikh and you don't want it to be gay, that's fine, you know, the law does support that. But other than that, outside in the society, in the community, this country that you're a citizen of, you know, we can't, we can't go and, and cause havoc or, or, or distress and things like that and, 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 uh, and harm just because we don't agree with something. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us understanding, patience and perseverance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala show us the right way and make us follow it. And may Allah show us the wrong way. And, and help us to avoid it. I thank you for listening, brothers and sisters. Inshallah, next week we will talk about the next prophet, which is Yaqub and Yusuf alayhi salam. from one of my favorite stories. Inshallah, see you next week. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.